0: We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man.
1: Men from
0: Moto digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville.
1: Intellects vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Manor Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com.
0: Greetings, people of Earth. We're the Men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 68. Send it back. My name is David Seville and I have Travis Sowers with me this week. How are you, sir? I am amazing, David. How are you? I'm pretty good, uh, despite a week full of adulting activities and not the good kind. Um, I am ready to get some magic content produced and hopefully play some on stream this weekend with Dominaria on Magic Arena.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of excited about that too.
0: It's been pretty good. You drafted Hour of Devastation over the last, uh, or the last weekend?
1: Oh God, yes. As, as soon as it went up on Friday, I drafted it all day Friday. I, I don't stream on Saturday. I like to take a day. I just been with my wife, but then Sunday I streamed it and then I got up early on Monday because I knew that it was still going for a little bit and drafted it more on Monday that that format is still everything that I thought it was still absolutely amazing I had some great decks, some great plays and ended up after somewhere around 10 drafts being down 700 gems So um, the cost of one draft? Yeah, I think I got 10 drafts out of one draft and a lot of cards and a lot of packs
0: That's awesome, and that was mostly on gold then, hey?
1: No, I used gems exclusively Oh, did you really? Where did you buy the gems from? I just bought the twenty dollars bundle. I was like, uh, I, it's actually kind of funny. So this this was embarrassing. So like, I had I had fifteen thousand gold saved up, and I was like, okay, that'll get me three drafts, and then I can probably win the fourth, and then I'll see where I am. And then they did the flash event, and it was like, well, this is just better than buying packs. And I was like you know what, I'll go ahead and drop 20 bucks on it and get $20 worth of gems. It's not going to be a big deal because I want to play in these flash events and the chat wants to see them, so we'll play in those. So I played in those and then it's Friday morning. And I'm like, okay, it's it's time to buy these. I really should have done it earlier, but I didn't. So I go to the site and I put in my credit card information and everything and it declines. I'm like, oh uh-huh. oh my goodness, what what's going on here? I, I obviously typed the number wrong. So I, I retyped it. And it declines. And I tried it a third time and it declines. So I sent a panicked email to the community manager about <laughs> how important it is for me to be drafting on draft day and how I've definitely screwed up. And I should have handled this sooner. And I even put in there, it's possible I didn't change my address when I moved with my bank. And then I clicked send. And then I click I checked to see if I had changed my address with the bank. And lo and behold, I hadn't. And then my transaction went through and I had to send the email of shame. Uh, I fixed it. I'm an idiot. Please don't read that. So like everyone on stream already knows and everybody that listens to podcasts know I'm an idiot. But now the community manager knows that I'm an idiot too. And that that was awesome. But it was one of the best days I've had on stream in ages. Like nothing special happened. And I was around 600 viewers that day. That was uh, kind of a big deal for me. That's a
0: that's a huge number, especially for like midday on a Friday afternoon or whatever, when there's a lot of people still working. That's uh it's pretty impressive. So good on you for that.
1: Yeah, it was a good day. It was a good day.
0: I even got to throw down a couple of drafts. I did a, <clears throat> a one three, which made me feel like I'd forgotten how to draft the format, and then I did a seven one, which was technically an eight one, where I was just about to win with uh the the mirror. What is it called? The mirror image. Thing. Mirage mirror. Mirage mirror. And, um, uh, oh, by the way, next level play mirage mirroring your opponent's angel of condemnation and then going to block with it instead of activating it because they can obviously activate theirs in response and then exiling it underneath the mirror, which now sits as just an artifact with the angel of commendation exiled (laughs) underneath it forever and ever and ever. That's best thing, best play ever. Um, but, um, and, uh, and then I went, went to win the game. Went to activate my mirror, and I had to make sure I tapped correctly because I also had to fire off a Ramonat Ruins for the win. And uh, click cancel, and the game drew. It crashed. And uh, and I got robbed of my seventh win, um, but then I came back and won the next one anyway. So ended up with the rare and mythical eight and one for seven and one prizing.
1: That's pretty nice. It's, I, it's pretty I was sweet. very disappointed with my first deck because I only got to play seven games with it um he's seven (laughs) yeah natural seven oh yeah my first like i I got in there and i started drafting and people were like so are you any good at this format and purely by chance i managed to draft a nut deck and got exceptionally lucky to seven oh the first one but i was like that felt really good and then then i promptly two three my next draft um and it it just it, it reminded me of how deep that format was like i was doing crazy stuff with oasis ritualist i made a red white aggro deck that was just the most aggressive draft deck i can remember managed to get two gust walkers in it um and i you know i'm ready to draft with real people i want prize support that's a little better suited to somebody that wants to play competitively instead of build their collection while they're playing so there's stuff i want i mean you know sleeves and avatars are on that list too as well as the teferi and nickel Bolas voice pack uh Because, like, I should be able to buy that. They do that in Heroes. Like, you can get an Abathur announcer. I want Teferi to narrate all of my plays. But we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh,
0: you know what? Let's just keep rolling about this arena talk. We'll get to our main topic in a little bit here. Not going to spoil it for you. But um, Dominaria this weekend. Um, What, uh, I imagine, obviously, you're going to be drafting. But what are you looking forward to most about drafting Dominaria on Arena?
1: You know, honestly, just the interface, the way the game plays, the kind of pick up and go nature of it. I mean, one thing for me, like I'll fire up the stream usually when my wife goes to work and I'll usually stop streaming about the time she gets home. But there's times where like I'm streaming magic online in the past and I'm, you know, doing a draft. I'm like, do I have time to finish this game? Like we're going to have supper at 630, like it's six. Should I fire this off? Should I wait? I just like that you can stop arena in the middle of anything, including drafting. I'm not going to stop the stream in the middle of a draft. We'll at least finish that. But like that is, is certainly appealing to me. I like the animations. I like that. There's a lot of new people coming back to ask questions, like to see stuff like why did the creatures heal at end of turn in my chat means that arena is hitting exactly the target audience that it wants to. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm honestly just happy to play in that interface. I've been playing more arena than magic online lately and kind of, liking it better uh and that that's like sitting down to grind pseudo standard you know for eight hours a day i never thought i would want to do that but i'm excited to do it i mean to be fair in, in somebody in your position though
0: um where you stream for a living you're you're looking to keep your costs down right so if you can play for what is essentially free right now on arena um that is it advantageous to playing on magic online where even if you're a good player it's difficult to stay afloat you know without spending any money out of your own pocket on arena or on magic online in the long term so yeah um so, so that also helps it also helps that it's a much more enjoyable game and you've said you've been seeing an uptick in your audience uh in your viewership since arena has become popular i guess especially with the quick constructed format and the draft formats so that's, that's good that's good it's very positive um and it's it's working out in in your favor so far which i think is is excellent and all people like i've seen all sorts of streamers that are streaming arena that i didn't even know played magic um and i I think that's really cool too so it's definitely opened up a lot of opportunities for people from for streaming for gameplay for coming back to the game uh learning how to play getting better as a player just having fun um you kind of wrap that all together in one it's it's looking pretty good so far
1: yeah i have i have two main decks that i play in quick constructed one is mono green and it's focused about getting a Steel Leaf Champion or whatever, the the 5-4 for 3, out on turn 2 as consistently as possible. The deck's pretty good. And then I've, of course, got the good old standby mono-red deck. I've tuned it to be an efficient killing machine. And chat was just kind of... I also have a goof-off deck that includes nickel Bolas, and it's just my fun deck. It's not good. It's just fun. And sometimes we'll start off the day with a cup of coffee and that. And chat eventually dared me to take that into Quick Constructed, and I managed to rattle off seven wins with that too. <laughs> it was pretty tickled with myself because multiple times, you know, we would get them exactly to seven for a particular reason and then just slam Bolus and let him have the final blow. Uh, but I, I, I've been having a blast. And the voiceovers with Bolus like... You should That's, kneel when in the presence of a deity. Like, and that needs to be my ringtone. That is pretty good. So
0: one of the things that I found, which is interesting too, and, and it, it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but I think it plays well in the favor of uh, newer players or um, players that don't really have a large collection, is that the best-of-one format that we currently have does allow players with not-so-great decks to take advantage of variants when it like when, when they when they strike when they hit lightning essentially um, in, in a bottle they can win a few games in a row, um, you know take advantage of their opponent missing land drops, take advantage of their opponent flooding out, win a couple of games with good play and all of a sudden your four wins and you're breaking even. Um, and, and I really do think that for most decks and most players, um, if you know how to play magic it should be possible for you to win a couple of games in your sleep with most decks. Yeah. And I think it's pretty positive too, because that means that you're, you know, on average not losing a ton of gold if you're doing these quick constructed events. You're building your uncommon slash rare collection uh at the same time and you're playing a lot of magic, you're doing your quests at the same time. So so I think that's overall positive. Uh we'll have to see how that how that continues into the best of threes and if they keep the best of ones around in this style of format, it's kind of implied that they will. I that's hope why they they're do. calling them that's why they're calling them quick. "Quote unquote" constructed, um, and then that would also encourage kind of the uh, players that have more time and the players that are more skillful to play a more skillful skill, sorry, skill rewarding format. Not necessarily not this sorry necessarily skill um, like skill based format, but skill rewarding format in a best of three, which reduces variance to some degree. So um, you know, Magic is a game of variance. We've said that before, and high variance definitely favors the player that has a lower percentage or lower win rate by default so um so i think it's good i think it's good that there's a lot of different people that can enjoy the game and uh you know even somebody like me that that's you know drafts a terrible hour of devastation draft i can still rattle off a few wins and feel good about myself at the end of the day so i think that's pretty cool (laughs) nice um myself i hit master this week uh, with my with my blue white tokens deck exclusively which has game it's amazing it still has game against everything the only deck that scares me now is there is a mono red God Pharaoh's gift deck? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's it's incredible. So what they do is they play a bunch of one drop goblins, um, including the one that you can sacrifice for for mana or Skirt sacrifice prospector. a goblin. Yeah, and they play wily goblins, which is a two drop goblin. Um, the chain whirler, the three drop goblin, you know, siege gang commander, all that kind of stuff. So um, on top of that, they play combat celebrant, and some of them play helm of the host to go infinite with combat celebrants and helm of the host but the uh the god pharaoh's gift um and the gate to the afterlife combo is basically where they go and they're trying to power out either um the god pharaoh's gift you know by getting enough creatures in the yard and then sacking the gate to the afterlife and they can do that through their sacrifice effects or i've even seen them just hard cast it because they just make a bunch of goblins on like turn four or turn five with treasure tokens um and then sack a bunch on the next turn and all of a sudden now they've got a god pharaoh's gift and they're bringing all of these things back so it's really sweet and um and i struggled a lot with that until i figured out that well you just you know exile their god pharaoh's gift or you exile their gate to the afterlife and if you can stick an ixlan's binding on either one of those usually you can do quite well for yourself
1: yeah Ixalan's yeah. Binding and Seal Away are just kind of ridiculous cards right now. Yeah, the only thing that Seal Away sucks against, um, is
0: the Black Knight deck. I don't know if you've seen that either, where somebody'll just play like a bunch of three two first strikers. Um yeah. and you're like, Oh, I can't deal with that as a white deck, so good game. Let's let's pass on this one and go to the next one. But that that's pretty rare right now. I don't think a lot of people are playing that one. I've
1: ended up playing four Untamed Kavus in my mono green deck just because the Vigilance gets around Seal away. Yeah, that's good. That's um, that's something that would get me too. I haven't really played
0: against your mono green deck quite a bit, but I feel like that would also get me because a lot of my blockers are two power, so I wouldn't even be able to chump block and, and gain a little bit of life.
1: I, the tokens deck can be a challenge for the decks that I play. Oddly, the mono red Godfarer's gift deck has not been a problem for any of my decks, but your deck is the one that I'm scared of with all three of mine that's so funny
0: because i'm i i hate playing against mono red unless i have the nut opening hand um i don't know It just there's something to be said about you know your opponent being on the play and and you're all of a sudden down to eight life on turn four and you're like well how do i win from here and then Uh, they play
1: a raptor jesus and you realize you don't
0: yeah that's true story i'm very very fortunate
1: that i don't run into that a lot um Go ahead. I did have a really fun time against the tokens deck today when I plused a nickel Bolas, cast anointed procession from their deck and then got back, uh, their anointer priest from their graveyard with my scarab God. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's like, you know what? I'll be the tokens deck now. Uh, that is amazing. I'm going to take, I'm going to play your
0: deck for you and show you how it's done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked. And then later I, I played a Chupacabra killed their angel of sanctions got back my Scarab God, used that Scarab God to take their Angel of Sanctions and got two of them. And unfortunately they scooped there. So we'll never know what would have happened next. That is amazing. The last deck that I've seen, which is
0: interesting, and I've seen it twice now, is there's a black-red Trove of Temptation, um, Torment of Hailfire deck. And I've lost to it twice. And it's kind of, not embarrassing, but like, like really and and like the whole game you can see this coming so they play trove of temptation to generate treasure tokens every turn they're a control deck um and make you attack with creatures which is usually doesn't come up it's usually just the treasure generators that matter and then they just kill all your creatures with you know Vraska's contempt and gain life with a uh, moment of craving and things like that and then eventually they're sitting on nine ten lands and anywhere between 10 and 20 treasure tokens and then you're sitting there and you're like well If they have it with their one card that they just top decked, they win. And if they don't, they lose. And then the game pauses for about 30 seconds. And you're like, did they disconnect because they're losing? What's going on here? And then all of a sudden you're presented with a dialogue of, would you like to discard a card, sacrifice a non-land permanent, or lose three life? And you're like, well, I guess I'm dead here because I only have 30 some life. I have five permanents in play and I have no cards in hand. And they just cast Torment of Hailfire for X equals like 27.
1: I think that's actually just a bad version of like the blue white approach deck, but both of those decks are looking to take advantage of a best of one format where you can't side out your removal. Right. So like mm-hmm. the deck that you're playing, that's not necessarily problem. Cause you're still going to be able to act with some stuff. You can excellent binding it to ferry, uh, for example, or, you know, cast out their cast out and get back your whatever. Uh, whereas like the, um, the, the bolus deck that I'm playing, it's playing Moment of Craving, and it's it's playing you know Golden Demise, and those cards are just completely dead in those matchups. Whereas in a you know best of three format we would have stuff in the sideboard to bring in against control decks. So I've ended up with like two golden demise and two doomfalls in my deck. Like the Doomfalls are really there for the control decks and I'd love to bring in Duress, but I can't quite make myself main deck one because it's dead so often in, in other places. I also think if we're going to talk about metagame, we got to talk about the boogeyman in the room, which is the blue white fun police deck. Yeah, that's
0: a little. Um, it's it's fun to try to get through, but it, it can be quite disturbing. And this is not um, this is not the approach deck, right? This is the Teferi, Karn Gideon uh, Baneslayer Angel deck, right?
1: I've I've seen them playing uh, with all of those cards uh, up to and including approach, but there was one opponent that I played against. Their only win condition was a Gideon, um, and four to fairies and they couldn't deck because they would either Gideon emblem or just use to ferry to bounce itself. Now I, I did manage to eventually get them. I don't remember how I took their Gideon and cast it. Something bizarre happened where I ended up getting their Gideon and making an emblem myself. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't even remember how that happened, but chat was kind of going nuts that we managed to finish that one off. But plenty of times I I've, I've I like should have scooped, but I've played it out. I've been like you have to show me what your kill condition is, and then they get down to zero cards and just keep talking to fairy, and I'm like, "Oh, that's that's your kill condition is me getting bored." And that will eventually happen cuz there's still nothing I can do anymore. So like that that's a real deck and like I'd see people in chat raging about it, like the type of people who play this deck are awful, and I'm like, "No, they're not." This game was over on turn five where they countered my last threat and I should have scooped then, but I didn't because I wanted to see what would happen. And I'm apparently a glutton for punishment. One of the things
0: that I find interesting, and it's kind of along the same lines of of these style of decks where like you can get these amazing kind of wins out of nowhere when you're so far behind is that with the volume of games that we play, there's a few non games, right? There's a few games that are done on turn three. I didn't, I don't draw my second land. This game's over but the number of amazing games that I have played either win or lose, like close down to the wire, need to top deck a certain play and like play to my outs for three turns in a row. Um, you know, put my opponent on settle the wreckage and play around it the entire game and then get them at the end of it all. There have been a lot of those games and, and obviously that's because it's the best of one format and, um, and you can get a lot of games in. But I think that's really cool. It's it's magic as magic is intended to be played, right? Crazy games, good stories. I don't have many bad beat stories, but I do have a lot of, like, this game was amazing stories. And a lot of them have come on stream, and that has made me very happy. Um, it, it's been a lot of fun to, to just play fun magic and tell stories about my deck. Um, and have people come to me and say, like, hey, how do you play this deck? Like, this, you, you play this a lot this seems really cool. Tell me how to play this deck. Um, and then at the same time we get to show them the magic of playing around settle the records, or playing these amazing, insane games and next, next leveling your opponent. Um, and, and I think that's really cool. That's something that limited doesn't necessarily give you because of the small scale of like the number of games you can get in with a certain deck. Um, you don't necessarily get to those, you know, fist pumping moments, and, uh, and I think that's really cool about Arena. So there's a lot of positive things that I have taken away from it so far, and I
1: look forward to playing it a lot more. Me too. I, again, there's a lot of stuff I would like to see finished there. Um, on my list is a friend's list, right? Because like, if, if we wanted to practice that matchup, you know, we could jam Mono Red against tokens all day and figure out exactly what cards you have that can shut my deck down and exactly what I need to be able to beat you. But pro tip, it's Raptor Jesus. But like we... I think that would be neat to challenge each other and maybe even have player run events, right? Like play against people that are are watching in the stream or something like that. Like a lot of cool stuff we can do there. And I still want my cat avatar. (laughs) Sub games would be great, right? Bring your jank, come, come play against my jank and
0: let's have some fun. It could be a good way to close out the stream or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's obviously a lot of things that I would like to see still, but, um, I think where we're at right now is, is a really good spot. And, uh, there's nowhere to go but up like yeah. the base that they have now is very very solid the gameplay is great um i saw today that they announced that they're working on stacking triggers in the next um in the next version the next patch yeah it's not that's not important to a lot of people but to some people it is um certain decks require you know very detailed knowledge of how you should stack your triggers and uh and the game doesn't let you do that sometimes a lot of the time i should say so looking forward to things like that and just bringing it more in line with the technical magic, the technical gameplay that I enjoy on magic online. So
1: it, it's it's good. It's all positive. I'm glad that they're fixing that. I won a game that I shouldn't have won because of how it auto stacks triggers. It, it involved Lich's mastery and like all sorts of shenanigans. But like I, my opponent should have been able to stack them in a particular order. They weren't able to, because it auto stacked and they lost. So it's good to me that they're addressing that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Dominary this weekend, can we talk about how the AI drafts really quickly? Sure. So what I've noticed, and you did obviously more drafts than I did, but what I've noticed and seen people talking about is that the AI seems to draft in a way that um, is very beneficial to you as a player if you recognize it. So the, the two things that we've noticed are... One is they don't hate draft, meaning that if you're looking for rares and mythics, like let's say planeswalkers, it's very possible that you can get those valuable constructed guards passed to you, um, at a, you know, midway through the draft and you can just kind of pick up value if there's nothing else in the pack and you don't care about drafting for winning. Um, you, you can pick up a Liliana. I think I heard somebody get it like pick six pack two or something like that. And so you're like, this should not make it this far kind of thing. Um. And the other thing that we've noticed is that, not sure if this is true yet or not, but it does seem like the AI picks a lane and sticks to it, like almost forces it, Um, meaning that if you can determine what is open, you're probably going to have a much better deck than you would if you're trying to force something of your own. Um, So determining what the AI next to you is not drafting should set you up quite nicely in that they're not even hate drafting any of your colors. They're not speculating on colors. They're just like, well, I'm black-red. And there's nothing you can do about it, so I'm going to pass you all the white and green and blue cards, and it's up to you to figure out what you want to play from there.
1: Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing I would argue is pay a lot of attention to those early signals and make sure that you're picking things up. It was a little bit disjointed an Hour of Devastation because so many of my drafts were four or five color green uh, where I was just picking up all of the good cards anyway. But I imagine in a format that sticks a little more closely to two colors, as as you can often do in Dominaria, that we'll really see this begin to pay off. So if if you've picked a good red card and then a good green card and then see an amazing blue card and you're like, why is this still here? I would go ahead and grab it because it, it like those signals are, are loud and clear and you'll be able to get a good deck from reading them. Mm-hmm. And
0: I did find that I had trouble between drafting for fun and profit or fun or profit let's say um and by fun i mean drafting cards that i can play in constructed versus trying to win draft games and i'm not really sure where the best place to to land is in in terms of arena so on magic online i draft to win unless there is a card that is worth more or around the cost of a pack in which case then i'll probably rare draft it because um, you know, I've said this before, but my my average cost on Magic Online is about 50, a dollar t- fifty. I take one and a half tickets per draft. So if if I can get a guaranteed two tickets, three tickets out of a draft, um, on average, I'm I'm making profit, right? It, it's a very small profit, but on average, I am not spending any money on my drafts if I'm rare drafting cards that are that valuable. So like a Karn or something like that is twenty tickets. That's great. That pays for like you know fifteen drafts or ten drafts or whatever it is for me in the long run. On Magic Arena, you can't do that, right? Like, I can't draft a Liliana or a Karn or something like that and turn that around into 20 tickets worth of packs or $20 worth of packs. I can't do that. So I'm torn between drafting cards that are good for me and constructed. Like, there is a Champion of Wits in a pack and I'm playing Red White. And it's like, well, do I take this Champion of Wits because I could use a fourth one? Or do I draft this really good you know, white aggro card or like a gust walker or removal spell or something like that, that might get me another win, which might get me closer to breaking even on the jam or the gold front um, when it comes to earning my rewards at the end of the day. And I'm kind of not really sure where I should land on that. What, do you have any perspective on that? Like, have you been focused more on winning the games or drafting cards for constructed when it comes down to a pack where there's kind of a good option
1: for both? I always default to winning the draft. I did on Magic Online, and it, it took a big card for me to be willing to rare draft it, and there usually weren't ones like that. But I passed multiple Approach of the Second Suns uh, in the drafts because I wasn't in white, and I also don't think it was particularly good in limited. Um, so like, I would see that go by and just kind of be like, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get into a cycle card draw deck at this point. I'm a red-white aggro deck. We're not playing Approach of the Second Sun, even though I got past 5th, like, there's still, you know, this Gustwalker in the pack. I I need to take that for this deck. So I've always defaulted there, figuring that the more I win, the more I'll get to draft more, the more cards I will get. I'll progress the vault. I'll get wild cards. I can eventually get this if it's something that I want. So, like, that was my decision. But I don't fault anybody for being like, hey, my deck needs one more of these. I did actually pick an uh, Earthshaker Kenra because I needed one more for my mono-red deck. And I took it when I was green-blue. Ended up splashing it anyway and did win some games because of it. Because, I mean, why not? Um, but, like, I, I it was absolutely a, the one time I was like, yeah, I need this one. So I've done it once out of, like I said, somewhere around 10 or 12 drafts. Okay.
0: The other question that I have for you is because it's a best-of-one format,
1: are you main-decking sideboard cards? I uh, certainly main decked enchantment removal. Uh, Forsake the Worldly was the one that I brought there. Now, that's kind of cheating, right? Because Forsake the Worldly has cycling. But I'm absolutely going to main deck my disenchant variants in uh, Dominaria. I've already gotten to the point where I was main decking them in Sealed anyway, and I can't imagine it's any different in draft. So one of the things that I thought
0: about was um, the defeat cards. Oh, yeah, you can't right? play those. Well, you you can't, You can, but... I did stop and think about those because in a best-of-one, if you end up with it in your hand and you end up with an opponent that has targets, you could potentially steal a game with very good removal. Um, you know, For example, like Liliana's Defeat or something like that. Um, Chandra's Defeat is also another good one there. And I was tinkering with the idea. I never didn't, didn't end up picking the card, but I was tinkering with the idea of is this good enough when it is good like the times when it's good is it that much better than the times when it's dead kind of on the negative side and i couldn't really figure that out i i lean to the not near being nearly as good as it is dead um so i don't think the needle would push that but it was an interesting kind of decision to think about obviously forsake the world is easy because it's got cycling but are there sideboard cards in dominaria that you might main deck. And I don't mean enchantment removal because we're main decking that anyway in a best of three, but things like seven damage to a flyer, right? Are you are you going to main deck that in a format where, you know, three out of the five colors have flying and a lot of the flyers are very good? I don't, You know, and there's a lot of common flyers that are very good. Like, I don't know. Like, are you main decking those? Or are you just going to suck it up and say, well, if I'm not playing, you know, if I'm not playing giant spiders or whatever, I can't beat, I can't beat flyers.
1: I can't remember whether it was cons block or origins that had the cycle of color hosers that host two colors at once. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those? I do remember
0: those. It was like, you know, what was it? Like three damage to target red or white creature or something like that, or destroy target red or white creature. I don't remember exactly how it worked.
1: Yeah. I, I, whatever format that was, I had gotten to the point where there were some of them that I was pretty consistently main decking because it's like my opponent should be playing one of these two colors, right? And like I can sideboard it out. And the the format also was like I, I don't think it was Origins, I think it was Cons, but I could be wrong. I was eventually main decking some of those, and I think I would need that level of of flexibility where like I'm getting uh, kind of hitting on two axes. It it does seem like there's enough flyers, like there's good flyers in the Esper colors, so you'd almost have to hit exactly red green not to have targets. Although red does have some flyers. They're just at higher rarities. So like you can Mm -hmm. see the uncommon Phoenix, you could get the four, four dragon. So like it's, it's not entirely dead, but I I still wasn't quite ready to main deck plummet in, in sealed. Um, I I think it would probably be okay if you're short playables, but I think that scenario, that is the scenario I would do it here. Uh, If you have a lot of card draw or any sort of looting effects, maybe we can talk a little more about that. But I just get really nervous about, you know, running into that one matchup where they either, because let's say that your opponent has one bomb flyer in their deck and they don't draw it. You're just down a card, right? So, like, that that would feel pretty rough, too. I guess if they do, you're happy that you have the answer. But I'd, I'd rather have a solid enough main deck to let that go and look forward to sideboarding when we get the competitive draft events.
0: Yeah, I, you know, we we've talked about before about, like, swinging for a home run right like like trying to like um you know you, you put it in terms of uh, trying to win a gp or, or trying to like day two a gp and your, your your pool sucks so you try to build like a risk reward pool like high risk high reward and maybe you can steal a bunch of wins um on the fact that you know you get luckier than your opponent right so i'm wondering if a best of one format leans itself more toward that i just haven't done enough you know research into it. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to probably not main deck a lot of these cards, but think about where I would be main decking them in, in in place of what card would I be main decking them if I chose to and starting to evaluate those situations right? Like, boy it would sure would be great if I had a Liliana's defeat in this spot, right? Or it sure would be great if I had a, whatever it is, the 7 damage to to target Flyer spell um, and and try to get a little bit of data that way to see if there are enough situations where it being in my deck is better than it not being in my deck Um, and you know we'll see if it goes the other way too right well this card just would have totally been dead and we would have lost the game because of it because it was a Liliana's defeat and it was totally dead but you're right I think looting card uh, card draw things like that um, you know rummaging effects are all very good for that so you can definitely get a little bit of advantage there um, in kind of trying to game the best of one that way if you have that extra extra ability
1: I think the real way to to gain the advantage of the best of the one format, if that's what you want to do, is to intentionally draft cards that people would sideboard against. Uh, For example, I saw a lot of people jamming Torment of Scarabs and Hour of Devastation draft, which Mm -hmm. I ended up by the end of the format not liking that particularly much in draft and liking it a lot in Sealed, uh, because in draft, like everybody had to forsake the worldly in their sideboard and almost all of them had a traveler's amulet and the planes to go get it. Like you, you just weren't killing people with it. But here you couldn't sideboard. So like they just slam it and it's like, Okay, that's going to grind me out. I probably lost the game. I was very fortunate that, like most of the opponents I played against with it, I was playing against my, with my red white deck. I was just like, I don't care. Sure, I'll take you know twelve damage off of it. It's fine. But like, I I, I could see that getting a lot of people. So it, it may even make a blue white skies deck better if people aren't able to bring in their plummets versus you. You know, it if there are people who aren't yet on the I should be main decking an enchantment removal spell in Dominaria, then it's going to make your artifacts and your enchantments even better. So I think that's the real way to game it, rather than trying to bring in, you know, very narrow cards, instead try to play cards that are answered by narrow cards. So maybe if you're looking at, hey, here's a you know, Cloud Reader Sphinx versus a Sarah Angel, you know, actually, I guess that one doesn't matter at all, but a Cloud Raider Sphinx versus something on the ground that's uh, about as good. I can't think of anything because Cloud Raider Sphinx is so good. But maybe I default towards the the flyer because it's going to be a little bit harder to answer. Right.
0: So, you know, in the best of one, to take advantage of that, you're looking to be playing things that your opponent can't answer um, or just being more proactive than your opponent, I think, too. So, like, I wonder if there will be room for aggressive decks in a best of one that your opponent can't side into like, you know, more two drops or a bunch of one threes or things that block those things really well or bad removal spells that can be cast early. Do do you think that is a possibility in, in Dominaria or do you think Dominaria is just too slow in general, even in a best of one?
1: Aggro is alive and well in Dominaria draft. Like I haven't done that much draft, but there are absolutely aggro decks in this format and you should be prepared with them from the get go. Sealed, not so much, Um, Although I did get rolled over by, it was actually a stream viewer, um, and they came in the chat afterwards and were like, I had a terrible pull, so I just put all the red-white cards together and crossed my fingers. And it worked, because I was absolutely unprepared for it. Um, But in tons of Sealed, I've seen one aggro deck. In drafts, I've seen at least one in each of the drafts, where people are just, you know, red-white combat tricks, let's go. Like, it's, it's a real deck, and you should have a plan for it
0: does that even apply to a best of one so are you going to play like janky two drops in a best of one because your opponent could be running you over with two drops of their own um instead of siding into it like you might in a best of three
1: yeah i'm gonna play two drops in my draft decks like i'm gonna put three grizzly bears in the deck just so that i have something that like even if we're expecting long grindy games sometimes your opponent stumbles and is stuck on two lands for three turns like in that point those two drops you know maybe deal 10 points of damage, that's halfway to closing the game out uh, before they even sort of recover from that. So like, even in the slowest of slow draft formats, I'm I'm always putting some two drops in there. Right, see,
0: th- that's interesting because I think there's a lot of people out there that are drafting this format. I don't have enough experience to know for sure, but there's a lot of people out there that are saying, you know, unless your two drop does something, like, don't be playing it. Um, You know, Dominaria starts at three kind of thing. So I'm just wondering, like, really trying to evaluate this from an arena best of one perspective versus a best of three on magic online perspective and trying to figure out if there are, if there are differences there and like maybe curve is more important in a best of one because you want to make sure that you're consistent. You want to make sure that you have, that you're playing magic every single game that you play because the games you don't, you lose the entire match, right? Like you can't, you can't go back and fix that. Is that something that you're like, I don't know. Hour of devastation is a little weird that way. Cause you have so many two mana cyclers that like you you really you're always doing something on turn two whether that's playing a two drop or or drawing a card, um. But dominaria I don't really know how this is going to be from a best to one perspective it, or if it maybe changes at all maybe it doesn't change at all.
1: I I was on first strike on Tuesday with pro tour champion Gabe Sang and he has been rolling people with red white aggro and dominaria, just like actively going for the two mana combat tricks, arguing that they're probably some of the better commons in the format. Like, all of the people who are like, yeah, it's fine. You don't need two drops. Like, as as soon as that becomes the dominant metagame, then Knight of Nubanalia is first pickable because you, you'll just get free tickets, right? So, like, regardless of what the format is, I'm always going to be prepared for two drops for, for aggro because there's always going to be somebody trying it. I'd like to have more in my board so when I face them, I can bring them in. But even in the slowest of slow formats, like... I can't remember what M said it was. It was the slow one, but it also had Murfolk of the Pearl Trident, like a two-one for two, just a goblin, a piker, and I still played it because there were still people trying to aggro you out in that format, even though it was bad and it wasn't what you were supposed to be doing. You're just like, oh, I just lost game one because I went on the draw like I'm supposed to, and they just curved two three four and I was dead. And I did it right, and they did it wrong, and I was supposed to win, so I just started putting two ones in my deck, and then that never happened anymore. And every once in a while, I was playing against the blue mirror, and they stumbled, and I killed them with the 2-1. And you wouldn't believe the delicious salt I got in the, the little chat window. It was absolutely worth it.
0: Did you see that they gave you the option now, or you will have the option you can opt out of chat on Magic Online? I did not. Yes, that is coming. So if people care about that, pro tip, soon you will be able to opt out of Magic Online chat. Sounds good to me. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm enjoying Arena without any chat. I know people are saying that they want it, but I mean, I don't give me a friends it. list that I can chat to. I, I don't care. Even the emotes, I don't
1: really care all that much about it. So, I think they should kill um, the emotes and then have things that your avatar can say that only you can hear. So if you'd like to entertain yourself listening to your avatar talk, go for it. But like, other than that, I'd, the interaction that I want with my opponent will be represented on the battlefield, not in emotes.
0: That is absolutely fair. So I know we had a main topic we wanted to talk about, and we talked about it on the mic check, but we've already talked for 40 minutes about Arena, and I don't think we have enough time to talk about the main topic. So I'm actually going to go back and probably change the title of this podcast, and we'll use the, the blank title somewhere else when we actually talk about our main topic. So why don't we spend the next few minutes... Just on a hodgepodge of topics because I don't want. To, I I think our our main topic has we have enough to say about it and we can probably do an entire podcast on it. I don't want to sell it short and just do fifteen minutes on it. Are you okay with that? Yeah, sure. Okay, so what I want to talk to you about is you were on the First Strike podcast this week. So for those of you that don't know, um, First Strike is on the Mana Deprived Network. It's KYT's um, podcast. He usually has um, misplaced ginger. I can't think of his name. Derek. Derek. Um, and, um, who else is on there too? Dagger. Um, I also can't think of his name because I only know people's screen names.
1: He's got a rotating group of people that come on and sort of guest host with him there. Yeah. And you are also one of those people
0: and you were on this week and I wish I had the audio here, but you and misplaced ginger were debating mulliganing in limited Mm -hmm. and mulliganing and constructed, but mostly in limited and i thought that this might be a good opportunity to spend a few minutes and come back to our mulligan topic and we can see if maybe you have learned anything changed anything in your perspective and we can also maybe recenter the conversation for chat so the last episode we did this for was 58 sorry 50 episodes ago episode 18 if you can believe it uh more than a year ago and you reference it in your chat quite frequently you have the podcast command or sorry the the mulligan command the episode is episode 18 you mulligan too much and our concept there in that podcast was you did the math and we basically came to the rule of thumb that in general and limited you mulligan too much um and we kind of talked about you know one lander's on the play one lander's on the draw you know six land hands all sorts of things like that and you know came to the conclusion that there's very few scenarios in which you should be mulliganing, um, hence the title You Mulligan Too Much. Now, on this week's podcast, uh, our First Strike podcast, um, you and Derek really got into it, but you had a, a very spirited debate over mulliganing and limited. You're obviously on the side where you mulligan too much, and he was on the side of you would probably don't mulligan enough, and that his argument, his main argument, I think, was that every card like your powerful cards matter so much more in limited because the the dis, dis, discrepancy between powerful and not so powerful cards in his mind were that you know if if you if you're looking for a particular removal spell for your opponent's bomb and you don't have it in your 7 mulliganing to 6 is kind of reasonable because if you don't have it you can't deal with your opponent's bomb and and he also thought that you know getting two for ones and things like that could catch you up if you mulligan so in limited two for ones are winning you the game mulliganing to six might not be so bad if you know if you somehow you can get a two for one and sneak yourself back into the game and also just being able to cast spells on curve and do something by turn two turn three or whatever it is also can win you games of magic those were kind of his three main arguments if i remember correctly is that the gist of it his argument right there it was and Did that change any of your takes? So like maybe we should just step back a little bit and talk about, you know, go back to what were the main points of of not mulliganing and limited um, from your perspective? What did the math say? Um, And then we can kind of come back and say, you know, what's changed in your mind, if anything, and maybe slightly reevaluate these these rules of thumbs and, um, you know, give a little more insight to our audience instead of because it's not just a hard and fast rule it's not just never mulligan it's not just you know never mulligan unless it's a, it's a zero lander or a seven lander or whatever right there's a lot of nuance that goes into it it's just that we've boiled that down to you know most of the time you should keep
1: yeah and it 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 was a rule of thumb that that we set up after looking at some data mining for old draft sets on mtgo goldfish uh they used to scrape a tremendous amount of data from magic online I, I believe Wizards eventually asked them to stop, and they did. But we got like the results of draft matches for three different formats, uh, two before the new mulligan rule and one after. And in all of them consistently, when you mulliganed, you were giving away somewhere between 5 and 10% of your win equity. So if you and I sit down to play a game, we're about 50% for either of us to win, not accounting for my skill level. Um, if I click that mulligan button... I'm giving you 5 to 10% of that that chance for me to win. So the math said there that generally speaking you shouldn't mulligan. Now that's not necessarily taking into account that like you know maybe my my hand isn't going to get there if I don't mulligan and we just can't know that, right? Like we don't know that there's actually three lands on the top of the library and we're going to be fine. But the the you that I, I I was intentionally addressing there was people who are coming to limited from constructed. They've played a lot of constructed. They're used to looking at a hand. And they're like, okay, well, I'm playing Jund, and I recognize the screen name. They always play ad nauseum. I don't have a thought seize, and I don't have anything to do until a Goyf on turn two. I'm going to have to mulligan this hand. And that's very reasonable. I've made that decision playing Jund in Modern. But like looking at an opener in Limited, like what initially got me very passionate about that topic was I was watching somebody playing Hour of Devastation. And uh, it, it was somebody who typically streamed Constructed, was streaming uh, Draft. And they looked at a hand that didn't was missing a two-drop and had a three-drop. And they weren't trying to play an aggro deck. It was just kind of a normal you know mid-range deck. They had, you know, I think four lands, a three and a five, and they sent it back. And I was like I immediately stopped watching the stream, which is another thing Derek talked about is that at times it can be difficult to watch limited. And I agree with him there. But for me, I was like, I could I can't Im- imagine why you would mulligan that. And, like, they just said to chat, well, it doesn't do anything on turn two. I'm going to send it back. I was like, you don't have to... This is a format where you definitely don't have to do anything on turn two, at least not in the blind, right? Like, maybe that makes sense if you know your opponent's on hyper-aggro curve-out, right? And that comes into consideration, but that, that just wasn't the case. So that got me kind of passionate about mulliganing. That was that was the original setup. Mm-hmm. I think
0: where people get confused you know in either defending this or or trying to debate it or even just you know asking the question about it is that they don't take like they think to us it's a hard and fast rule and it's not right there's there's a lot of of hands that i will look at that um you know that i lean on mulliganing because of the consistency or the texture of the hand And every time I look at that and I think I'm going to keep or I'm going to mulligan, I'm running through kind of the same questions about about my hand. And the main question that I ask is, do I get to play magic? Or what is the chance that I get to play magic, right? So you can't just say to yourself, am I going to keep a hand that has lands and spells? Because if those spells are seven drops, right, and you don't have a lot of twos in your deck, let's say, or twos and threes in your deck, and you're very heavily weighted to the upper end... You know, you have to kind of seriously say to yourself, do I get to play magic? Or maybe you have, you know, two fight spells in your hand and no creatures and five lands and you're kind of like, well, I, I, you know, do I have to mulligan this because I'm going to need creatures in order to be able to do anything? You know, there's a lot of those types of things. So it's like, I boil all that down into, do I get to play magic? I don't even care about the win rate if I get to play magic because I feel like if I'm playing magic, I have a good chance to win. Right, my my general win rate on Magic Online over my entire lifetime is about sixty four percent. Um so if I get to play magic in a game, right, or in a in a in a three game set of, of magic, I on average can expect to win sixty four percent of the time. And that's great. So if I get a hand where I, I don't think I can play magic, and there's a few factors that go into that, right? And the next factor into that is okay, if I can't play Magic now with his hand, what are my odds to get there to play Magic? And this is where the odds command comes into play in in your chat, and this is something you use quite a bit, but really it just boils down to what are my chances of hitting something off the top that I can play, right? And that's usually a land, maybe a land of a specific color, or maybe it's a land or a two-drop, right? Or a land or a, uh, or a two or a three drop right so that that why there can be a wide net of cards that you can draw off the top that are just good draws that you can play so maybe i have a land a hand that's two five drops you know and five land and it's like you know you might think about that and you might be like well maybe i should keep maybe i shouldn't keep i'm not really sure and then you factor in the fact that you have like 10 two and three drops in your deck and you're like well shoot like i can probably top deck one or two of these things to give me the time to get to my five drops, so it's going to be okay, right? Unless you build a deck that has absolutely no twos and threes and they're all fight spells, and you're like, well, that's bad deck building. That doesn't. Yeah, mulliganing isn't your problem there. That's not your problem there, right? So there's a lot of factors that go into that, but the two that I look at are, do I get to play Magic with this, which gives me a chance to win just right out of the gate, and then if I don't get to play Magic with this, what are the chances that I get there? And one of the things that I have been doing is... I have been finding myself looking at mulliganing hands where um, where I'm missing a color of land. So, you know, I might have a hand that has a bunch of twos and threes of my of one color, but I have a land of the other color, and I'll do the math on it, and I might be something like 47% to hit that color, and if I don't hit that color, I'm kind of hosed, right? I've been finding myself trying to mulligan those a little bit more. Whereas the opposite of true is true, obviously, if I have my color and I just need to hit any land because now I'm closer to seventy five percent chance to hit you're talking about one I'm landers one landers right so so you keep a one lander and you know on the draw if I have my on the draw and I have my color right so now i'm I'm about seventy five percent to hit my second one, and then I'm good to go right? I can play my two drops, that's fine, but if I have my off color and I don't have any of my off color lands let's say so i have all green cards in hand and i have one white land now my math flips around and now i have to say okay it's not any land it's a specific green land yeah um and those numbers go way down right now i'm down closer to like 45 percent depending on how many green sources i have in my deck and i found myself that you know people might look at your rule and say well you never mulligan a one lander on the draw
1: that's not true
0: you. that's not true you say that because generally speaking that might be true but you have to sit back and actually be critical of of your decision and think about the decision that you're making and run those numbers and you might look at it and say well shoot if i hit my green source off the top you know my hand is amazing i'm going to take that risk but you also have to look at it and say well you know is there potential that my hand is terrible even if i do hit my green source Um, and in which case maybe you want to ship that back so i think Using that as a starting point, I think you made a very good point on the podcast, on the First Strike podcast, is that you need to be looking for very specific reasons to mulligan instead of just assuming that you should be mulliganing and looking for reasons to keep. I think you should be working very hard to avoid those mulligans and then be very pained down in your soul, which is where you make these mulligan decisions. Um, You have to feel the pain of clicking that mulligan button. And I think
1: that way, if you're doing that, I think you're doing it right. So two things. Um, First off, I I don't keep a lot of one landers. However, even on the draw. However, I keep a lot more than most of my chat is comfortable with. And -hmm. the scenarios in which I do it are where I have something good to do on turn two, and I only need to hit a land. Right? So, like if I've got two really good two drops or a great two drop in a combat trick or a two drop in a two mana removal spell, and I just need one land to play either of them, I'm going to snap that off. And most of chat would just auto mold that. And in the past, I auto mold it too. Right? The level up for me was recognizing I'm actually kind of likely to hit the land. There was a time where I would mulligan two lands on the play with three drops. And be like, well, I'm kind of unlikely to hit that third land, so I guess I'll send this one back. But what I wasn't accounting for was I could also just draw a two-drop. And that would be fine, too. Like, it's the game's usually not over if you miss one land drop. You can hit two in a row and be right back in it. So, like, those two scenarios specifically for me were ones that were big level-ups for me. And I noticed I was winning a lot more when I did it. Um, and then I, I have to address this do-I-get-to-play-magic thing. I know what you mean... You're like, can we get a game going here? But I really want to encourage people to to recognize that when you sit down and you draw your open seven and you look at it and you're making that decision, you're playing magic right now. This is a crucial, important part of the game when you decide whether or not you're going to mulligan. And like, you're already playing magic. You're making a decision that impacts your your chances to win probably a lot more than any single attack step in the game except for the last one, right? So like whether you attacked for two into an obvious Gideon's approach or played around it matters way less than whether you mulligan or not. So like, I, I just want people to kind of recognize the importance of that. I think a lot of the don't mulligan theory. And I think Derek has a point here came from a long time ago playing magic where like, I can remember playing here. Most of the creatures sucked. Your opponent had one air elemental in their deck. You have one doom blade in your deck it's the only way you can deal with it, and it's the only way they can kill you. So like, you don't mulligan because you're going to use divinations and mind rots, and you're gonna you're gonna see most of your deck. They're gonna see most of theirs. So like, if you have that that you know terror or whatever it is that you're gonna get it with, you definitely need to save it and hold it because it's only gonna go for that one card. And like, there's one thing that matters. Cards have gotten so much more powerful that like aggro is a legitimate strategy in mini draft formats, whereas in the past it wasn't. So like, there's times where yeah, obviously, if you know your opponent's an aggressive deck and you've got five lands and a six drop, you know, let's let's think about this before we, we select keep. But the, the, the other thing I want people to remember is that when you mulligan, you're not guaranteed a better six than the seven, right? Like, there's there's a percent that you could just... Like, have you ever mulliganed a one-lander into a no-lander? Feels bad. Yeah, I've done that tons of times. So many times, right? So, like... That's the thing that I think people don't necessarily realize. Now, to Derek's point, he 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 had a, a scenario where his opponent had a card he couldn't beat. He sideboarded in a card that could beat it. He mulliganed a decent seven, got the sideboard card. They had the card he needed to kill, and he killed it. And then he won that game. That, to me, is just too many hoops for me to jump through. Right, mm-hmm. like I'm happy knowing that I have a sideboard card in my deck to beat your bomb, but I'm not going to be like completely convinced that you're going to have it at the beginning of the game where I immediately need to answer it. In this case, it was an Oketra's Monument, so a three drop. Right, like I'm I, I'm not necessarily willing to believe that you're always going to hit that on turn three and that it's always going to roll over every single hand that I have, even if I don't draw my sideboard card. So like that that's the thing for me, like if I have a decent seven, the chance that I just mulligan into an unkeepable six is big enough that i'm I'm just not willing to risk it, and he's right, two for yeah. ones can catch you up, but like that's the benefit of two for ones if If you're not behind in the first place and then you get a two for one, you're ahead. you're not even exactly and i I want to be ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, you're pushing that needle more in your favor. And, you know, the, the 60-40 rule of if you mulligan, your opponent is now 60% to win on average in the dark. Yeah. I think I think still rings true today, right? Or it's 55-45 or whatever. You're shaving off those win percentages. You, yeah, you can get a two-for-one and get yourself back in the game. But, you know, I'd rather be ahead. But I'd rather put my opponent so far behind with that two-for-one that they can't catch up.
1: And let us let me address to his his comments about the power level. I said that you would want to mulligan more in Constructed than Limited um, and and his argument was that the cards all do the same thing and constructed, so it doesn't matter as much. But like there's scenarios. Let's let's say that we're playing uh, Arena Standard and we have sideboards, right? We've played game one, and I'm sitting down against your blue white approach deck, and I, I didn't quite have enough sideboard cards to get all the the stuff out of my deck, but I've got an opener that has two moment of cravings left, and I had to leave them in there. But I know you really don't have any targets in your deck. Like, I've already mulled to five. Like, knowing this matchup and knowing what those cards do, I'd be like, I need just mulligan and make sure I hit, a, you know, a negate and sit on it because you're not winning through it. So, like, I'm looking for specific cards, not power level. Whereas in limited, yeah, you're you're going to have, you know, one to three bombs in your deck, and I'm going to have one to three ways to deal with it. But you're not always going to have it. And the games where, like, neither of us draw our bombs, it's going to come down to who curved out, who has card advantage. Mm-hmm
0: how many games would you say the average game of limited goes or how many turns? I mean like seven, eight ish ish. So you're only ever drawing 15, 16 cards on average out of your deck. So like if you, if you do the math on that and the math that, that you have to draw your sideboard tech and your opponent has to draw their bomb that you cited in for specifically. And both of you have to get to the mana to play it. And the game has to still be going by that point. Like, maybe that's 20%? It's about and the I chance of maybe, a two-headed
1: giant attacking with double strike.
0: I think maybe that's generous, right? Like, even if you just look at straight card draw, where if you get to turn... If you get 20 cards deep in your deck, the the, the odds that you and your opponent both draw those cards are is still only 25%, right? 1 out of 2 times 1 out of 2 is 1 over 4, mm-hmm. right? And then you have to factor in the fact that the game is still in... Like, the, the, that that those cards both matter, right maybe you fired off that removal spell on something else already um or that that you know that the game just isn't over by now out of virtue of like well i have 10 creatures on the board and my opponent has one blocker and this game's over even if they play their bomb so i think i think giving it a 20 percent chance is probably generous i'd say 25 um, sure so even if we just say 25 percent, right like you know, you might just stone-win the game then, I guess, 25% of the time, but what are you doing the other 75% if you're mulliganing looking for that card? Like, are you going to shave off 10 percentage points off of those games, too? No, like, you're going to shave tw- I don't know that it
1: adds up. You're going to shave 20 off, because if if you've drawn the sideboard card and it's narrow, then you've functionally mulliganed to 5 to make sure that you get it. Mm-hmm.
0: Especially if you're not going to use it on anything else, if you're saving it specifically for that bomb, yeah. right? Like, maybe it's just... Maybe it's just unconditional. Maybe it's like a Chandra's defeat or something, and they have a Glorybringer. And you're like, I am not firing this card off against anything except a glory mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, that's great. I'm going to lose to your scrapper Kenras or whatever they are, Kenra scrappers. And I could have fired this off long ago.
1: Part of this um, too comes down to like game theory because Derek, I, I've watched Derek streams. I've watched his videos. I'm a huge fan of Derek. I think he's a cool dude. Uh he's always been super cool on the podcast too, but he's a hundred percent a spike, and he's looking to spike tournaments so taking an attitude like this like it it may actually help you win a Grand Prix, but it will not help your win percentage you know over a year so for me i I'm probably always gonna take the cautious lines. Like, again, they they had uh, David Rude and Gabe Sang on there, both talking about the routes that they want to go in Dominaria. And Gabe was saying, yeah, it's totally fine to play Legendary Sorceries with two Legends because if it ever comes together, it's great. And if it doesn't, well, you're down a card. And then, you know, Rude was like, that's absolutely crazy. I would never play a Legendary Sorcery unless I have four Legends and some card draw. Like, I tend to go more that route. Uh, Ray, we've had him on the podcast before. We'll, uh and and Joe, my buddy Joe, who has been on the stream before, both of them will sometimes say you can splash a card off of two basics, and like that's that's just heresy to me. But I know that they've done it in one games with it, right? And like when you look at the decks that they're doing it in, it's a very late game card that they're splashing off of two basics and a you know a divination, right? So it's like, well, th- that's sort of fixing too, ish, kinda. So like, th- there's these higher variance strategies that when they work and work for you over the course of ten games, you know, you just want a GP. Congratulations. But generally speaking, day in and day out, that's not what I'm I'm looking for. So it's it's the classic argument in limited of power versus consistency. And for me, I'd rather have the consistency of seven cards. Like those cards are a resource. And it, usually you win the game by having more resources than your opponent. Uh, whereas other people are going to be looking for a powerful hand and be like, you know what, this, this is just not good enough. I want power.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I think that's fair if that's what you're looking to do. If you if you accept that strategy, um, you just have to also accept the fact that you're shaving off that, that percentage, right? Um, I do have one disagreement with you, though, that I think we need to talk about here. And you, you say this a lot, and I know what you mean by it, but I think that, it's not clear to the people that hear it all the time is that you say that the scry after you mulligan does not matter and what you what you mean to say when you say that is that the act of scrying and looking at that tarp card and deciding what to do with it doesn't matter because you've already made that decision before you've scried. you're saying basically i have enough land i'm going to scry a land to the bottom or i don't have enough land i'm going to keep a land on top
1: or scry right. action to the bottom or, or or
0: scry action to the bottom, right? That's essentially what you're saying. Yeah. The reason I disagree with that is because I think uh, when you say that, it might come across to people that the scry doesn't matter at all. And it does matter when you do the math before you decide if you're keeping your six or not. And this is what I wanted to talk about here. So when when you're on the, let's say you're on the the play, right, and you go to six and you're evaluating if you want to keep your one lander, um with six cards in hand and you need to hit your second land to play magic to quote play magic the reason that the that the scry matters there is because you get to essentially look at an extra card if that first card is not a land right Mm -hmm. so when you do the odds on that and you do the math on that normally you would do the calculation that says well i have to hit one land in one draw out of 16 lands in the deck and it gives you whatever that percentage comes out to be if you're scrying though you can do the same math as if you were on the draw because you essentially get to look at two cards to hit one land right and it only really works with one land if you're looking to hit two lands the math is is a little different with the scry because you obviously don't know what your second card is and you're not drawing a second card like you would be on the draw however on one land looking for one specific card being a land um this the math on the scry does matter because you can kick a card to the bottom which is the, functionally the same as drawing a card for purposes of calculating whether you hit your second land drop or not yeah so I, so i think people when they when they hear that from you they need to realize that you mean the scry doesn't give you card advantage after obviously because you're still down a card and the decision doesn't matter because you've already decided once you've kept what you need sometimes it matters like you can you can keep a a sketchy card on top like you know do i want to keep a a good three draw like a three mana removal spell on top or something and and you know play my two drop and just not do anything on turn 3 or do i want to put that card on the bottom and maybe hit my third land drop like there's a few minor decisions to be made there but not many but w- you have to keep in mind is that the math before that is very important on whether you keep your six or not by counting that scry in looking for a land
1: true um what i was communicating and responding to and i guess i've shortened it uh, and it it do, it is certainly worth more explanation, is there were people that would say surely the win percentage must have gone up after the change for the scry with Mulligans, and it did not. It did not change at all. So when I say the scry doesn't matter, I mean in the decision to make the Mulligan in the first place, because people would say, well, with six and a scry, that's basically the same as seven, and it, it's just not. So when I say it doesn't matter, it's because you're always going to look and e- either make the decision it's a land or a non-land. Like, that's all you're looking for. You're not looking for Thought Thoughtseize, so you can use this against the Ad nauseum deck. You're not looking for the Artifact Removal spell that you... You're not looking for Ancient Grudge that you sideboarded in against Affinity. Like, sorry, a lot of my constructed sideboarding knowledge comes from playing Modern Jund. But you're not looking for a specific card. You're just looking for land or spell. So, like, when I say it doesn't matter, I, what I mean is it doesn't recoup you that 10 to 5% that you you have taken by automatically losing a resource. What it does do, and as, as Dave is pointing out beautifully here, is basically give you the same math for hitting your lands as if you were on the draw. You're still down a resource, and that still sucks, and it's still going to punish you, but I'd rather have a 40% chance to win a game than none. So, like, on the occasions where I have to mulligan... I will quite often keep one-landers on the play after a mulligan. It still needs to be a good one-lander, right? Like, I've got a couple two-drops or a two-drop and a a combat trick I can cast. It's the right color land to match up with the two-drop and the removal spell or whatever else I've got. So, like, that's where I'll consider a one-lander on the play is after I've already mulliganed. In most scenarios, I will not keep all lands. I will not keep no lands. And although I did once I had a uh, uh renegade map or whatever it was. you remember that uh, it, I, I did you, yeah. oh I totally got there I, I actually flooded out uh, but was still able to win the game. um and generally speaking, I won't keep I won't even keep one landers on the draw unless it just lines up perfectly where I like look like one lander, you know you've got your six drop, the two fives you have in the deck and a bunch of threes and one lander. I'm not keeping that. I'm not a monster. I'm just saying like before you see one land and just click mulligan by default, look at what the hand does, run the math. It's super easy to do. Every streamer that has MTG bot, you can just go in there and type odds. I don't care if you come in my channel and spam it all day. Like have fun. It's even there when I'm not there. So if I'm not streaming, you can go in and type this in. Uh, And like once you've done the math, the math either says you should keep this or you shouldn't. And then you immediately do that and then don't like beat yourself up because it feels so bad to, not, to miss your land drops and, and not get to play magic as the kids are saying these days. But like, what I've noticed is like I consistently keep those one-landers on the draw when it lines up. Chat always tells me I'm crazy. And over half the time, I look like a genius.
0: I'd, I'd say about 75% of the time you look like a genius. Yeah,
1: because 75% of the time you're going to hit that land
0: yeah and even if you don't know how to do the math and you don't have access to the odds is you can remember and memorize those easy scenarios like for example i have 16 land left in my deck i'm on the draw i have two two draws to hit my second land i'm 75 percent. like you can you can write those numbers down heck i mean you can even memorize them when you go to the gp and you play in paper like it's easy to to remember those very easy scenarios and you don't even have to be exact you're just you're just looking for an approximation like you know i'm 75 percent to win is close enough to 74.7 percent to win like it's good enough to make those decisions
1: yeah when you get to the point where there's 16 lands in your deck and 33 cards just about every other card should be a land anyway so like you can exactly. remember it that way too if that helps yep um
0: one thing that the the scry did do which i don't think we factored into anything but it's something to keep in mind is that doesn't make a lot of sixes keepable which You would think should have an overall improvement on the win rate because you're going to five less yeah but it still doesn't change the fact that six sucks Mm -hmm. so okay good i wanted to talk about that because i thought you did a good job debating that topic and um it felt like you two were like passing ships in the night in your arguments is that you guys weren't going to see each other at all um even though like you guys understood each other but i think you guys were just arguing from two completely 100% different positions, especially when I heard the differences in, like, constructed mulliganing, right? And how different you guys were on that one. And I'm like, okay, you guys are, like, same side of the coin, just on different sides of the planet. Um, but it's like... And I thought, that was, I thought that was interesting.
1: General advice, you probably shouldn't play with a flamethrower, right? Like, that's not mm-hmm. a good idea. If I found a flamethrower in the backyard, I'm going to run away and call somebody but somebody who's trained in it and knows what they're doing is certainly welcome to use one for the you know the the purpose for which it was designed. There's people over there, they're not on fire. You'd like them to be on fire. You can make that happen. Derek is somebody that has the knowledge to make these decisions in high-stake environments, right? So like I'm it, like he can absolutely disagree with me and do this however he wants. He's not the you I was talking to when I said you mulligan too much. Right, and once you it's get to the, the point where you're thinking about these things, you're not the you either. Exactly. And the more you know, the more you know.
0: All right. Next week, I swear to God, we've been trying to do this topic for two weeks. We will do this topic. What's it, What's the topic we're going to do next week? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it. Oh. <laughs> we'll talk about it next week, and if I don't spoil it, then if we don't do it next week, people will never they'll never
1: know. know. Oh, that's genius
0: i know right oh. we can just keep putting it off forever mm-hmm. now but uh, it was a good week it was a good topic uh, i look forward to drafting dominaria this weekend on arena and probably magic online
1: it's gonna be good i'm just gonna be on arena for the foreseeable okay. future but uh
0: where where can they catch you streaming this
1: you can find me streaming at twitch.tv slash simulan you can find me on twitter under the same handle it's at simulan and a reminder, if you dig the podcast, tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That'll help some more people find us.
0: Mm-hmm. You can check me out on Twitch at DCivilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N, and Twitter the same. Thanks once again to uh, Mana Deprived and Face-to-Face Games for the host and the support. We'll catch you next time. Adios.